Abba Father, I thank you for a beautiful day. And Lord, I pray your presence would descend in this place right now. Lord, that you would help us to press in to this book. Lord, even through what, you know, might feel a little awkward, Lord, I just ask you for grace to be encountered by you. Lord, I pray the release of the cry for the kisses of your mouth. Lord, I pray myself this morning, Lord, come kiss us, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth this morning, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. We love you. We we want more of you. Amen. So, how's it going since last week? I don't even remember last week. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. It's really where we spent most of our time. Oh, oh, you really I think I prayed it. But, no, uh, I, like, we I, I prayed it three or four times. times. I, I challenged you to pray it every day. And yeah. 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 I prayed it the days that I remembered, but I then it Sunday still was like... I didn't even think about it. What is wrong with you people? I'm just, I'm, I'm totally disappointed in you. So no, but okay. So what we covered last week, like, you know, what's, um, you know, what's, what did anything percolate out of last week's time together? Talk to the church about their behavior and talk to the world about the grace of God. We've spent too much time telling the church about grace and the world about sinful, how sinful they are. That's so backwards. That's okay. a lot of what filled my head last week. Like had nothing to do with the rest I of know. the stuff we talked about. But whatever, whatever the, Holy, whatever the Holy Spirit uses, you know, what, just, you know, ask people to take one nugget usually. Yeah. Often we go into God's presence with uh, business and not spending enough time loving one another. Yeah. Yeah, this is a relationship. It's a divine romance. Gentlemen, you're just going to have to get past it. Because this week we're going to go even deeper. And like really, really into places that even though I've studied this book for a long time still make me just a little bit uncomfortable. Um, that because when the the intensity of the of the desire that God has for me is unveiled to me, my instant human soulish reaction is oh no, I don't deserve that. No. You know, it's just like uh, I can't, no, that's not, that, that's my instant reaction. When I begin to get a glimpse of the passion of God for me, I, 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 I'm embarrassed, I'm shocked, I'm ashamed. You know, it's like this place of, and, and really that's what's going to happen in this chapter. You know, in chapter one, uh, it's, it's kind of their first encounter, and she sees him and says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, and, and, and she's kind of overwhelmed by this moment where she sees him for the first time and says, yeah, this is the one that I want. And he it all, almost immediately it says the king has taken me to his chambers. We didn't get there last week. but So there's this, they have this encounter where they meet for the first time. It's probably like, you know, the 
the wedding day, really. And the, he, he, it, well, because that's what happened. You know, that's what happens. And, well, you know, I was reading a lot about Jewish wedding ceremonies, both ancient and modern, over the last few days, and they're fascinating to me. Um, in ancient times, you got married a lot of times years before the actual consummation of marriage. So, like, people would get married when they were, like, when the when the girl was eight or nine years old. They would be betrothed. No, no, it's, relax. She didn't move in with him. She didn't, you know, none of that. Um, it was a contract between the husband and the father of the bride that she was going to belong only to him. And from that point forward, they were 100% legally married. But they wouldn't consummate marriage until until the uh, father of the bride and the father of the groom decided it was time, which is usually, you know, you know, when they were 15, 14, 15 years old, which I know to us is like, what the heck? But that's just how it worked, you know. And um, so that this they would be married like Joseph and Mary. Mary was probably in her in her mid-teens when she had Jesus. She and Joseph were already married, but the, the consummation of the marriage, which, which was called the, the chuppah, had not happened yet, okay? And, uh, well, now that's the name of the, the canopy that is over the bride and groom. Um, yes. Because that's where they come, and it, um, it's... Uh, and that's where they do the whole ceremony. They didn't have a ceremony back then. Ceremony consisted of, it was kind of interesting, because what would happen, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, but what would happen was um, there was this ceremony, which was kind of the, uh, the, the proposal moment, where the father of the bride and the groom had already made their made their arrangements, okay? And then they would come to the bride, and he would present himself to her, and he would give her, and he, he would drink from a, a wine glass and then put it on the table. And they would read out the marriage uh, agreement to her. And she could say no. She had the right to say no. But most of the time, if her father was for it, she'd be in serious trouble if she said no. But um, she could if she wanted to. And what she would do if she accepted is she would take the cup and she would drink all of it. Um, and and that was kind of the acceptance moment, um, and which is really fascinating if you think about the Last Supper. Because what Jesus was doing was proposing to his bride. When he handed, he drank, he had the cup, and he blessed it. When he set the cup of wine before her and said, drink all of this, all of you. And then he said words that were 
a normal, traditional wedding proposal. You know my father, now also you can trust me. I will go and I will prepare a place for you and I will return and get you and so that you can come back and and where I am, there you may be also. That's what they would do. They would present this and then they would go and they would build uh, a usually an extension onto their father's house, which was the bridal suite, basically. It's where they were going to live during the first year of their marriage. And his father... And sometimes the bride's father would inspect this extension onto the house. And only when his father said that it was ready, would he allow the groom to go and get his bride, which many times was years afterwards. And so that's what, if she accepted the proposal, he would say, I will go now and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said that to them. Can you imagine the guy sitting in the circle <laughs> and all hearing this and being like, you know, I don't really understand this, Jesus. But they, it was which happened all the time in Jesus' ministry where he would say things and they'd be like, what? 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 <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they didn't get him at all. But he was proposing to them. We've got to get this through our thick skulls. This is not about sex, ladies and gentlemen. This is about our relationship with God, which is far more powerful and far more important and actually eternal. Sex is temporary. Remember, we talked about that. This is not about a man and a woman. This is about God, Christ and the church, God and his people. This is about the relationship between us and the Lord that marriage is only a symbol of. Marriage is, marriage is a symbol of that, not the other way around, okay? Realize that our relationship with Jesus is more real and more important than our relationship with our spouse. So, we're going to continue in. First chapter, they have this first encounter. They kind of make a commitment to each other. They, they are married. Some, some people would say they get married actually before this book happens and that what's being outlined in this first encounter is that consummation moment happens in chapter one she says the king has taken me into his chambers i always love that because uh he brought me in do you see that i didn't go in myself you know we talk about that let's enter into the lord's presence let's you know Press in. No, that's backwards. Take me into your chambers, and then he gets to decide whether he does or not. And thankfully, he always does. He took me in. The king has brought me into his chambers. He chose to allow me into a place of intimacy with him. And that is huge. Okay? And then, you know, there's this whole encounter afterwards where he goes out on you know, he's grazing his sheep and she doesn't know where they are and, 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 and she's a little bit uh, insecure about her relationship with him because he's gone and he didn't tell her where he, he didn't tell her where he was going. And so she's asking and he's going, look, you could have asked any of my guys and they would have told you because you're always welcome with me. And then we begin chapter two where she's she's been renewed by the fact 
that he wants her with him and she makes this statement about herself. Are you ready for this? She makes this statement about herself. We like to use verse 1 to refer to Jesus. But this is something the bride, the beloved, is saying about herself. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Okay, how many times have you sang those words about Jesus or said those words? You are the rose of Sharon. You're the lily of the valley. That comes right out of Song of Solomon. This is the only place that this exists in Scripture, this, these two phrases. And it's not talking about him. It's talking about me. Yep. I mean, we could say that about Jesus too. But the only place it's used in Scripture is not referring to him. It's referring to us. And it's a statement she makes about herself based on his opinion of her. We get... and. When we begin to hear, which and this is the primary reason that I am doing this study of this book with you, is because when you begin to come in contact with the passion that the Lord has for you and the way that the Lord feels about you, it will awaken your heart in a way that right now is not, it is not awakened. When you begin to understand the passion that he has for you, it will open you. It will open you. You begin to trust him more. You begin to believe him more. You begin to walk in a level of confidence in him that you've never experienced before. And trust me, it's worth it. Verse 2. This is him. This is the, the lover speaking. As a lily among brambles or thorns, so is my love among the young women. Can you hear the voice of Jesus saying this about you? Listen, the, the Lord loves everyone that he has created, but he has a special love for those who have said yes to him. For those who have accepted his proposal. And he says, you are like a lily among thorns. He says, look, you know, it contrast the two things. A lily and a thorn, contrast them. Okay? A lily is open. It is has a pleasing fragrance. It's soft. It's beautiful. It's vulnerable. But what's a thorn? It's closed. It's hard. It's sharp. It's punishing. If, he reaches, if you reach for a lily, you're going to encounter something pleasing and fragrant and beautiful Something that is, you know, that in every way invites you in. And the thorn is pushing you away. And he's saying, here is one. Here is one among all of the world who welcomes me. Who's open and vulnerable to me. Here is one who wants me to be around. What did Jesus say in... Uh, in, oh, wait a minute. I wrote it down, I thought. Anyway. Oh, well, it's in Matthew 5. But he says, he says, 
It's the poor in spirit who inherit the kingdom. It's the meek who inherit the earth. Jesus, Jesus is saying, listen, this, this is the kind of person that welcomes me. It's like when Jesus takes the little child and says, if you're not like this little child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they came seeking him. They came wanting you know, encounter with him. They, they, they had an, a, a, an earnest belief that Jesus was the one who, who, who could answer their question, that they wanted to be blessed by him. They, 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 I, I love little kids because, you know, they just, they're so genuine and open. And this picture of us being the open and vulnerable and, and, and welcoming to Jesus. He says, I delight in that. In your openness, in your vulnerability, I'm, I'm drawn to it. It's that cry that she made at the beginning of the book. You're going to find it over and over again, that it is her desire for him that draws him to her. It's her desire for him that that welcomes him in to where she is. But I also want you to look as we go into into verse 3. This next piece, this next whole section is her response to this one statement from him. This is what I mean when I say, when I say that, you know, when we begin to encounter God's heart for us, it opens us. When we begin to encounter God's heart for us, it 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 stirs us to trust Him. It stirs us to be vulnerable. It stirs us to be open to His presence. Because all He says, all He says, is like a lily among the brambles is my love. You know, among the young women, and then she launches into this whole stanza, this this huge piece, which is the next how many verses. I mean, it goes all the way down to, yeah. This is what happens. This is how this works. As, as, as we begin to encounter the voice of the Lord, then that it stirs within us that cry from the beginning of the book. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. As we, as we begin to encounter the fact that he has passion for us, it stirs that in us. So she begins to speak. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sit in his shadow and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Okay, you need to understand something here. She mentions apples several times in this book. Apples were an aphrodisiac. Okay, They were uh, a, a way of arousing desire. Okay, that people and people would eat them, you know, to take them into the place of intimacy. Okay, so she's saying he is covered with the things that stir desire in my heart. When she calls him an apple tree, that's what she's saying. Okay, he is full. Now, let's get away from from the sexual side of this, although. That's an incredibly sexual statement, and if you read it for more than five seconds, you're going to understand exactly what that probably means. 
that whole paragraph. Okay, let's just back away from it. Okay, and let's look at the. This is a man and wife. It's, it's all right. Okay, but let's look at the spiritual side of this. Here's the reality, and this is what she's saying. When I behold Jesus, when I see him, desire is stirred in me by all the different things that he carries with him. All the things that are true of his name. In chapter 1, she says, your name is perfume poured out. Everything that is connected to him, his beauty, his glory, his strength, his grace, his majesty, his power, these things about Jesus, everything about Jesus awakens desire in me for him. And you know this because if you've ever experienced the, the real presence of Jesus for even a, a moment, even a flash, even for five seconds, immediately you want more. Am I wrong about that? How many times have you been, you know, in prayer or, you know, in a worship service and all of a sudden just the Holy Spirit just sweeps through the room? And what is the only thing you want to do? Stay right there Ask for more. What did what did Peter say when, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus showed them who he actually was? It is good for us to stay here. Let's build some tents, you know. <laughs> let's, let's hang out. I don't want to go anywhere. This is exactly where I want to be. And that's what she's saying. She's saying, listen, everything about him awakens something inside of me. When I when I when I see Jesus, I am stirred to passion. I'm stirred. To desire, I'm awakened to the fact that he is the one that my soul was created to long for. I want you to think about the one or two things about Jesus which awaken desire on the inside of you. You know, for each of us, there's different stuff, okay? Different things that are kind of our favorite thing about Jesus. And if you haven't thought about this, you should think about it. You should think about it right now. The, the, there are things about Jesus which, you know, more than other things about him, awaken desire inside of you. And one, this is one of the things that I do when I am uh, having a hard time entering into worship or I'm having a hard time really opening up the Word of God or listening to a sermon or whatever, is, is I begin to say, I begin to just go to one of the wells, you know, one of the things about Jesus that endlessly fascinates me and that endlessly, you know, awakens desire in my heart. And I will go there and use that as an entry place back into whatever activity it is that I'm trying to be a part of at that particular moment. Okay. Does that make sense? Are you guys awake this morning? Did everybody stay up till like 2 o'clock? You all look exhausted. <laughs> so what is it? What are what are a couple of the things about Jesus that kind of stir you? <clears throat> How he's always like he's always there to help you in your time of need. All you have to do is call out to his name and he'll be right there to help you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is just the cross in itself. Like he could have completely came down, but while he was on that cross, he thought of each of us individually. Like I'm doing this because of how much I love you. I'm staying up here. Choosing to have the nails pushed through me, I'm choosing to take all the beating because I love you so much. Yeah. Similar to him, but to me, it's like it's his faithfulness. 
I've had friends come and go, and I've had, you know, people that I once thought I could trust and love and stuff like that, but it seems like in the end of the day, God is always there. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that because it's the only one consistent thing I've ever had in my whole life. I find myself fascinated in the idea that, like, he still has more strength in his mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, like, I know how, like, Doubting Thomas was like, oh, I need to see the nails in his hands. But to me, I always see that as like as like I want to see the nail prints in his hands because then it's like I get to see. I want to stick my hand in his side. I want to experience, you know, the Jesus that died on the cross for me, and it just gets me like, whoo. There's this old gospel song that says, "I shall know him by the prints of the nails in his hands." It's like, mm-hmm. you know, what? When I get to heaven, I'm gonna know who Jesus is because because he was crucified for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's one for me. I started thinking about God had no beginning, and immediately it's like, oh, oh wow! Yeah. He's needless. He doesn't have any needs at all. That's another one for me. He has, there's no lack in him. There's no, there, he, he has no need at all. He doesn't need me, but he still wants me. What is that? You know, that, that just, that gets me down the path. Yeah. There's one that you kind of started this year when we talked about um, Christ is, or the, is it Christ is the manifestation of God and the Holy Spirit, like their love back and forth between each other, and like where that plays in, like where did that start? But it's always been, but it's like it had to start somewhere, but yet it didn't because no, it's, it's always been. Yeah. And then trying to figure in creation on that, like he just spoke, and then Christ was there, and he's like, ha ha. <laughs> then I just stopped. And the Holy Spirit was like, <laughs> it's just like that whole that whole scene of events. It's just like. Yes, it's that place of, uh, we talked about last week, intimacy without shame, that we can honestly have that with him. That's so huge for me. You know everything about me. You still want me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's what she's talking about. She says he's an apple tree. That's the point. That's, that's what she's trying to get across, is that there's, he seems to just, create new ways to stir desire in my heart. Like Every time I come to him, there's some new reality about him that just makes me go, oh, I love you. You know what I mean? It's just that, it's just this constant revelation. One of the things that I love that the Bible says about Jesus is that he never changes, but he's always new. Now, how does that work? Okay, it has something to do with his his infin- his infinity because there's always some part of him you have yet to explore, which isn't that exciting? You know, I mean, there's you cannot be bored with him because everything in him is beautiful and he goes on forever. So it's, you know, we're just going to keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. You know, at some point, the guy that marries the model is going to realize that he's seen every angle of her. And even though they're all beautiful, he's bored. Okay. That's just reality because he only, if he only married her for her, for her beauty, you know, um, that's, that's, not the way it's going to be. That's not the way it is with the Lord. He's constantly, we're constantly seeing new realities in him. And not only that, uh, as we grow in him, we gain new capacity to see those realities in him. That's, 
I believe why the seraphim are covered with eyes because they're constantly like, I, I just, I need another eye to see how glorious he is. You know, I didn't have eyes on my kneecaps yet. You know, I, I, I really think that's what's going on. You know, they're just like, ah, holy, you know, it's like, I wonder if I had another eye, if he wouldn't be quite so beautiful. No, he's only more beautiful. You know, and it's just this constant ongoing thing. So she says he's an apple tree. With great delight, she sits in his shadow and she enjoys him. It isn't that she just looks from afar and says, man, he's good looking. No, she's invited in to experience his goodness and his glory. She's invited in to have what in the New Testament is called epinosis, which is experiential knowledge of his goodness. Not only do we have to know it up here, but we have the chance, we have the opportunity as the bride of Christ to actually taste and see that the Lord is good, to actually experience the realities of the goodness and the glory of God. So not only do we have to, do we stand afar off just burning with desire? No, we get to continually feed that desire, and it, it only grows. That's the beautiful part. That's the part I love the most. You know, that that the more I get of Jesus, the more satisfied I am, but the more I desire him. Now, how does that even work? That's one of my deepest wells, is you satisfy me, Jesus. That's That's probably my deepest well, is that nothing else satisfies but you satisfy. When I get in, when I'm in his presence, when I'm gazing upon his beauty, when I'm gazing upon who he is, and I'm just, I'm just thinking and chewing on the realities of who God is, I am satisfied in the depth of who I am. That is the only place, the only time, the only moment where I am fully, deeply satisfied and stay that way is as I'm gazing upon the glory of God. That's it. That's it. And unlike every other addiction, he gives to me. He doesn't steal from me. It's so huge. The fragrance of apples represented virility and health. He's fruitful. He's beneficial. He, he, she sits in his shadow. She's, she's in a place of comfort and shelter, protection and peace and a place of pleasure. This book is about taking pleasure in Jesus. You just need to get a hold of that, and it's gonna—it's got to be okay. It's got to be okay. We are so afraid of pleasure. We really are. We're so afla- afraid of pleasure, and I understand why, okay? Because most of your life you've been told, you know, Hey, stay away from that pleasure. Stay away from that pleasure. Stay away from that pleasure. And rightfully so, because, you know, most of them are destructive. Sex outside of marriage, destructive. Okay, eating too much, destructive. I ought to know. Um, you know, the, the you know, um, and, and drugs and, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, all these things which are pleasurable to our flesh, we're constantly being told, stay away from that, stay away from that. But the truth is, you were created... For pleasure. The problem is we're going to the wrong place. We're going to the wrong place. You were created for taking pleasure in God. 
That's what you were created for tonight. I'm teaching chapter two of the Don't Waste Your Life book at Men's Training Center. And it's all about this reality. What does it mean to not waste your life? Scripture is very clear. What it means to not waste your life is to make your life an endless pursuit of pleasure in the glory of God. But not just your own pleasure, but the pleasure of everyone around you in the glory of God. That is a shocking reality when we start thinking about it, because most of us think that doing the right thing, quote unquote, has to hurt. Right? Doesn't it feel that way? When we're like eating something really, really delicious, we're like, this is sinful. Right? Don't we do that? Okay. You know, when? why? Do you want to know why? Because... We've equated pleasure with sin, that, that, that sin is pleasurable. You're so wrong. Sin's pleasurable for half a second. God is pleasurable forever. God has called on you and created you to chase down your happiness, but not momentary fleeting happiness that's only going to disappoint you. He has called you, created you to chase down your happiness in him, which will only increase forever and ever and ever and ever. That is who you are. That is the commandment that he is making when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That is a commandment to pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that my wife gets upset when I look at her and say, you know, you're so beautiful. Do you think she gets upset? If I said to her, you know, I just love spending time with you. I just love being with you. I love kissing you. I love being around you. I love talking to you. Do you think she would get upset with me? No. Why? It's a compliment, right? Now, if I'm being honest, who's receiving the pleasure in that particular moment? Me. Me. I love being with you. What is that about? That's about me. That's not about her. But is she mad at me? Does she call me selfish? <laughs> How dare you? You never care about me. <laughs> Is that her response? I mean, seriously, think about it. No, it's not. Why? Because when I'm enjoying her, I'm glorifying her. You see that? When I'm enjoying her, I'm glorifying her. Honestly, guys, if you can get a hold of this reality, you will never walk away from Jesus ever. I believe that with all my heart. This is the reality that keeps me from sin most often. God's better. Period. God's better. When I really get that and when I'm really living in that place, when I'm enjoying him, I'm glorifying him, which is what I was created to do. The Westminster Catechism says, this is so good. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay. John Piper put a small twist on that and said, 
it should say, the chief end of man is, glorif- is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Just grab this with both hands, guys, and have some fun. Because this is who we are. Jesus saved you so you could enjoy him forever. Jesus died on the cross so you can enjoy him forever. <laughs> oh, come on. Wake up to some pleasure. Wake up to some joy. This is what you were created to experience. Did you think that you loved pleasure for no reason? God is the creator of pleasure. And pleasure is his name. Come on now. I am, like, some of you are really just, like, getting glee, and some of you are just, like, really not happy with me right now at all. And, and I love that, because when the truth is, is going out, that's always the reaction. You have half the people that are going, I don't know how I feel about this, and half the people are going, oh, this is so good. Okay, so that's, that, that usually means the truth is being spoken. <laughs> When those are the two reactions, okay, <laughs> it usually is. So uh, you just gotta grab grab hold of this. It's delicious. Oh wait, now everybody's happy. It's all right. Why? Yeah, let just. Throw, throw some throw some crap off of you and enjoy Jesus for it. I just, man. You know what usually happens when I begin to tell people this? Shame just instantly just bleh, right in their face. Do you know what that is? That's the enemy saying, no, don't enjoy Jesus. Don't you dare. You don't deserve it. Jesus is going, no, you don't, but I still want you to do it. I paid for you to enjoy me. So if shame is rising up in your heart right now, that is the lie of the enemy. Just just let it go. Just throw it off and it, and and step into this place because God created you to enjoy enjoy him. <laughs> this is why I love this book because it's what it's all about. Okay? Now, verse 4. <laughs> of chapter 2. It's all right. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. This word, banqueting house, actually means house of wine. He brought me to the house of wine. Now, I found out something just as I was studying this that is fascinating. It's in, in, you know, in, in our culture, wine is kept down in the wine cellar where it's cool and whatever. Well, the coolest place in a Middle Eastern house was the top floor. Because of the wind. It was open to the air and the wind would blow through. That was the coolest place. And they didn't keep their wine in, in bottles. They kept it in skins and in amphora, which were, you know, uh, clay jars. And they would stack them in the top floor of the house. And not only that, they would keep all of their treasure there. So when she says that he took me to the house of wine, there's something symbolic there, meaning that took me to this place where he keeps all his treasure and his banner over me was love. Mm 
He is the king. She was a peasant maiden. She was not of noble or royal birth. Okay, she was, and in fact, she was, she uh, probably was very dark skinned. Okay, which was not good at the time. The whiter you were in this culture, the more beautiful you were because it means it wasn't a racial thing. It just meant that you were rich enough to not have to be outside all the time. It was just like they liked women with a little meat on their bones too because it meant that they had money. She says in the first chapter, don't, don't, I know I'm dark. Please don't, don't make me feel bad about that. Don't stare at me because I'm, because my skin is so dark. My brothers made me work in the vineyard. It's not my fault, you know. Um, it's this, it's that uh, insecurity that every woman has about her appearance and it's coming out in this way. And it's our insecurity before the Lord that we don't deserve him, you know, and that's so true. and so reality. So it's so real, but Jesus is like, you're my, my dove, my beautiful one. He calls her the most beautiful of women. It's just going, Psh, you have nothing to be insecure about when it comes to your appearance, I find you. Stunning. So he took her in, and his banner over her was love. This is his eternal declaration over her is love. It's his eternal declaration over me and over you. This is the one who I love. It's a banner written over our heads. Everywhere we go, the angels see that's one the Lord loves. This is this is his lily among the thorns. This is this this is his favorite one. This is the one the Lord loves. I love that John always said that about him, the disciple Jesus loved. He always called himself that. And I love that. I think that's so amazing. That John was just he had both feet down on that reality. He stood in it and he told everyone that would ever read the Bible, I'm the one, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He's not saying that Jesus didn't love these other guys because he did, but he's saying, hear this, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I, you know, I used to, I used to tell people I'm God's favorite. And so are you. But I'm God's favorite. There's, this, there's a shirt at Walmart that says, Jesus loves you, but I'm the favorite. It's like two thumbs up. Exactly. Uh, we should walk around honestly feeling that way. <laughs> Not just joking. That shouldn't be a joke. That should th Walk around honestly feeling that way. I'm his favorite. Because you are. His banner over me is love. He didn't have to love me. I don't deserve his love. But he has set his eternal soul-saving love on me. Yeah. I think one of the hardest parts for me, at least, to wrap my head around that fact is that there's men out there like Reinhard Bonnke and Mike Bickle. And, I mean, Reinhard Bonnke has four and a half million people come to Christ at his meetings. Brandon, you're his favorite. I know. And then you, like, try to wrap your head around that, and it's like he loves him. He's his favorite, but you're his favorite, too. Yeah. Looks at you in the same eyes, and, and all those like, four million people. Need to I know. <laughs> it's just like this doesn't work. <laughs> My brain, it doesn't work. <laughs> we cannot measure our our uh, 
worth to the Lord based on, on quote-unquote success, based on any, <coughs> any m- measurement that we would understand. Jesus has just stated our worth, just out and out stated it. You're the one that my soul loves. That's just it. He says it here. We're going to go, we're going to dig into that in just a minute, but he says it. He says, listen, this is who you are. Now check this out. He took her to the banqueting house and his banner over her was love. And she says, sustain me with raisins, another aphrodisiac, by the way. Refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. In other words, I love him so much, but I want to love him more. I love him so much, but I want to stand up under the the outpouring of his love. I want to receive it all. I don't want to to shrink back from his love being poured out on me. And in this cry, we are hearing again, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She understands that to love this man, to love Jesus is not something we are capable of doing without divine grace. You need to get this. God has to give you grace to love him. Even in the stuff that we've just been talking about in the last few minutes. Okay, even when we begin to understand these realities about who he is, that he's eternally satisfying, and that it's our duty, and we are sinning if we aren't satisfied by him. (laughs) This This is the greatest sin. It's the greatest sin. Oh my gosh, Jeremiah chapter two. Okay, I get. I, we're gonna we're gonna take a detour here real quick. Somebody pull out Jeremiah chapter two. Okay. Okay, we're gonna start with like verse twelve. Yeah. Well, there's a lot, um, okay, when I first started reading the story of God, that was like the first thing, like like the very first paragraph, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and it specifically talks about how like if you're choosing to be unhappy. Yeah. On a daily basis, if you're choosing to like walk around with the attitude and stuff like that, like you're walking in sin. Like <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh. Like, you don't really think about it like that. Like choosing to to be dissatisfied with yeah. God. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> All right. Two is it? I think it's two twelve. What What does it say? It says, "I got be appalled, O heavens, yeah. of this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares." Go ahead, keep going. Oh, okay. My people have committed two evils, for they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a slave? Is no, he stop a- there. Broken cisterns that can hold water. Okay, that's 2.12. 2.12 and 13. All right. Here's what he says. Read, read verse 12 again. Okay. Be appalled, O heavens, at this be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Why? For my people have committed two evils. They've committed two evils. Stop right there. Okay. My people have committed two evils. Be appalled! Heavens! Earth! Be appalled! Be shocked! Be blown away! Be disgusted! Just cover your faces with shame! <gasps> what are they doing? How are they doing? I cannot believe this! What? Be enraged by the two evils that my people have committed. And they are. Read it. They have forsaken me, 
the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What? They've committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living water and they have hewn out for themselves cisterns that cannot hold water. Be appalled! Wait a minute. You know, and after that gigantic, you know, be appalled, heavens, earth, bear witness. You know, you would think you would say like, they've murdered children or, you know, something, something that we would all be like, oh my gosh, you know, that we would just be just blown away by. And his answer is, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. <laughs> okay, ho hold on. They've walked away from a fountain. Yes, but not only that, they have dug cisterns in the ground that can't even hold water. <laughs> Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, here I stand. Here I am, totally available to them, completely, endlessly, unstoppably satisfying to them. And they've looked at me and they have walked away. And not only that, but they have spent their life working to satisfy themselves in ways that they will never be satisfied. God doesn't say they've killed children. They've done all these other things that we would say, heavens be appalled, earth be appalled. No, he says they have decided not to be satisfied by me. And they have spent their life working to satisfy themselves in ways that will never satisfy them. Be appalled. God is making a declaration that when we choose not to be satisfied by him, we are committing the highest, most egregious of sins. It's time like this, I find like the Bible is actually living because like, who says that? <laughs> I'm just saying, like for real. Jesus is pointing at you and me, and he's saying you've committed the worst sin you could possibly commit. You have not, you have not decided to enjoy me. church doesn't understand this. I have been walking and learning about this reality now for a long time. Maybe 10 years. It's going to be that long. Might be. I've been walking in that reality for maybe 10 years and I still don't get it fully there's moments where I understand it a little bit but most of the time I just I'm just scratching that surface his banner sustain me with raisins refresh me with apples I'm sick with love I have to I can't 
I don't have the ability to love him. I need the grace to enjoy him. What a prayer. I just want to pray that for all of us right now. Okay, here we go. Holy Spirit, I ask you for the grace to enjoy you. I ask you for the grace to find pleasure and satisfaction in you. Lord, I ask you for the grace to see you as the apple tree to be stirred with desire for you. I ask you to give me the gift of enjoying you, of loving you deeply, of taking hold of you and and being satisfied in all that I am by you. I ask you for that for my friends in this room. Holy Spirit, come and give us the grace to enjoy Jesus fully. We want Jesus to get what he paid for on the cross. Give us the grace to enjoy and to find joy in the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Sustain us with raisins. Refresh us with apples, O God. We're sick with love. Out of that prayer comes this next encounter. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I think we can get a clear understanding of what's going on right there. Okay. From the prayer, I want to love him more, comes a deeper level of intimacy. And we're just going to move on. Then she says something funny. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She makes this statement several times in the book. My interpretation of this in our context that we're looking at is this. This love will consume you completely. Unless you're ready to be 100% fiery in love with Jesus, don't even start the journey. Unless you're ready to be consumed by passion for him, don't, don't, don't play. Now in the male-female context, this is probably a statement to the virgins, uh, yeah, until it's time for marriage, don't get close to a man. Okay, I mean, that's really... Okay, but in the spiritual context, this is how I see it. This is what I see. This statement from her. Listen, the fire of his eyes will consume you. Don't look into them unless you're ready for that. This is an all-consuming love. It's a warning. A love that demands everything. Don't ask for it until you're ready to be consumed. Okay, this next piece. Okay, starting with verse 8. How are we doing on time? Okay. We only have 15 minutes which isn't going to be enough, but that's okay. The voice of my beloved. Okay, so this is, she says, oh, they had this encounter in the house of wine. Now she's gone home. All right, or back to wherever, maybe the harem, who knows what, how this exactly works. Okay, but she goes back to wherever she usually stays. Okay, 
And all of a sudden she says, listen, the voice of my beloved. So they were just together and now she's back and she hears him. Okay. And she says, he's, he's behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall. Okay. So let's just back up just a minute. Okay. The voice of my beloved, she hears him crying out for her again. Okay. He's calling her name and he's leaping over mountains and bounding over hills. This is a picture of Jesus conquering every obstacle between your heart and his. Okay? He says, all of you is mine, and he's coming after you. He's coming after you. Now listen to what he says. He's overcoming every obstacle to our hearts. He's defeated all of our enemies to come for us and make us his own. All the distance between us and God has been removed by the love of Jesus. Okay, that's the truth. All right? And he is running toward us, jumping over the mountains and the hills. They're nothing to him. He's like a gazelle. He's like a, he's like a young stag. Have you ever seen a deer run like right straight up a mountain? Okay, because they can do that. You know, that's why in the Psalms it says, Oh, that I had the feet of a oh that I had the feet of a stag. You know, um, you know, where they can they can just run right up the mountain and never fall. You know, they don't slip or fall. They just Okay. And he said, Look at him, here he comes. He's She's blown away by just how unstoppable he is. And it's, he's being driven by his passion for her. And then he's, but then he stops short. Behold, there he stands behind our wall. Gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. He's waiting for her. He desires her. He has come when she doesn't expect him. He's calling her out. He's standing there waiting for her. He's prepared for action. He wants a partner. Okay? He's gazing through the windows. Every point of entry to her life he will use to influence her to come out of her place of comfort and join him in the impossible. He's revealing himself to her as much as he can to entice her to come out. He wants her with him, and as of this moment, she won't come. She's lying in her bed just looking at, oh, there he is behind the lattice, behind the wall. But she's staying where she is. He's going, come on, come on, come on, I'm right here. Now, do you notice Jesus stopped short? Do you think if he jumped over a hill and a mountain that he could have, that he has trouble getting over the wall? No. He jumped over your sin, over your unworthiness, over all the things that you have done in your life to tell God you don't want him. He's, he ran right past all of those things, but he stopped short at the wall that we put up against him. When we say this far and no further, he listens. He'll stay there. But that doesn't mean he's not looking through the wall, looking through the lattice, going, come on, I'm right here. Come out of your comfort zone and be with me. Come out of your comfort zone. Let's go jump over mountains and hills together. Come on, I'm calling you out of your place of comfort into the impossible. I'm calling you out of the boat to walk on the water. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Come on, let's go. There is so much more for you if you will just leave that place of safety, security, and comfort where you live. Let's go. 
He's standing there. Can you see that passion? I always think of Romeo and Juliet, you know. She's standing in the the thing and he's 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 you know waiting down below. He's not he can't really go up to her. He's waiting down below and he's looking up at her and he's just like, "Oh, that I were a glove on that hand that I could be closer to that face." You know, he's just like just, he, you know, this, this desire for, uh, for her is just welling up inside of him. It's driving him. I can just see his face like, come on. I don't want to have to wait till tomorrow to see you again. Right now, let's go. Let's go. Have we thought about Jesus feeling this way about us? Have you ever seen an engaged couple who have spent time away from each other and then he's waiting for her? Okay. He's waiting for her. And then she walks in the room. Does he just casually wait at the other end of the room for her to come over? No. Before you know it, they've crossed the room, smashed into each other. You're just like, whoa. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives inside you. You know, just the, this, 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 like that, that, that passion of you. You know, when, uh, when, when people are first married or when they're first, you know, together, and there's that that blossom of love. You know, and the and 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 when she walks in the room, like he just lights up like a like a fireball. Right? It's just like, she's here. Okay, that's how Jesus is. Think about this every day, okay? We just kind of tease him. We kind of live on the on the outskirts of, of his presence. You know, we just kind of we kind of live out here and he's going and he's going, Look, I told you to I told you morning, night, and morning, morning, noon, and evening that you should be praising. I told you to pray without ceasing. I to this is I want to do this life together with you. That's one of the reasons I love the book, Practicing the Presence of God, because he's like, no, I want God to be a part of every single moment of every single day of my life. That's the whole idea. That's what I want. That's how I'm, that's what I'm after. Okay? And God is after the same thing. He wants to be part of every single moment of our lives. We need to invite him into every single moment of our lives. We need to uh, desire him to be a part of every single moment. And Jesus is standing outside the wall going, come on. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Leave your place of comfort and jump over the mountains with me. This is it's his call. Come with me walk to walk on the water and do the impossible. And he says, Behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone and the flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. In other words, it's time, honey. You've waited long enough. I've conquered everything that stands between you and me. Now let down the walls and let and come with me. Come with me. He keeps trying to convince her. Look, it's springtime. The fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And then he says, oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock. Now check this out. A dove, 
can only look one direction at a time. And later on, I mean, in a couple different places in here, he says to her, you, your eyes are like doves. You have dove's eyes. Okay. It's because when a, a dove can only look one direction at a time, and he's saying, I want the one direction of your eyes to be towards me wholly, completely, 100%. That's what he means by dove's eyes. I want you focusing on me. I want to be the only focus of your existence. I want to be the center. And so he calls her that again. Oh, my dove. The one whose soul focuses on me. But then he calls, Then he says, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, which is probably, you know, she's in a second story room and kind of shut away. But it's this picture of the dove hiding from him. And then he says this. Hear the voice of the Lord speaking this over you. Are you ready? Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Jesus' desire for us? Is Jesus really saying, let me see your face? Let me hear, her vo let me hear your voice? He says it in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want in, come to the door, here I am, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. There's a desire in the heart of God to see us, hear us, know us, for us to come and to experience him. Not only, you know, he created us to enjoy him, we've been talking about that today, and it is his desire that we enjoy him. created us to enjoy him, and his, it is his desire, his passion, that we enjoy him. And he does what it takes to remove all of the barriers between our enjoyment of him and ourselves. You hear this. This is real. This is true. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Now, what about, what in the world would he have to enjoy about me? But he says, your voice is sweet, your face is lovely. I, there, I enjoy being with you. His delight is in me. What the heck? It's in Psalm 149. The delight of the Lord is in his people. What? Why? We don't get to decide what he's delighted in. That's what, you know, got, ladies, hear this. Men do not want your list of all the reasons why you shouldn't enjoy, they shouldn't enjoy you. My wife does this to me all the time. I'm not this, I'm not that, no, 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 no. I'm like, will you shut up? If anybody else talked about my wife the way that you're talking about my wife right now, I would punch them in the face. Jesus is not interested in your list of reasons why you shouldn't be passionate about him. Or, I mean, he shouldn't be passionate about you. That's what I mean. 
He's not interested in your list of reasons why he shouldn't be passionate about you. He is passionate about you. You can't change that. He just wants you to let him be passionate about you. And stop hiding from his desire for you. He wants you. Now come out. And then he says this, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in bloom. Now, what? Jesus said it's the little foxes that ruin the vine. He may very well have been quoting Song of Solomon when he said it. And he was talking about our relationship with God. There are tiny little things, tiny little things. Tiny little pieces out there that are ruining our desire for him and ruining our ability to understand that he has desire for us. And this is the cry of the bridegroom, that those things be removed. Because listen to what he says. Our vines are in bloom. What does that mean? The vineyards are in blossom. Okay, when does that happen? When did the flowers come out? Okay, right before. So what What are? What comes after the flowers? The fruit. The fruit. Fruit comes after the flowers. He's saying, remove all of the influences that are keeping me from, that are keeping you from being fruitful. if they get in there and they destroy the flowers, there will not be any fruit. Intimacy creates fruitfulness. This is something that God created. There's a reason why sex creates babies. It's because intimacy leads to fruitfulness. You follow. This is a cry from the heart of Jesus my bride, remove all of the things that are stealing my intimacy with you. Remove them. I want you to be fruitful. Jesus said that my father is glorified when you bear much fruit. That's what Jesus said. Hear this. Jesus is crying out to us. It is intimacy that creates fruitfulness. I am, I am asking you to remove all the things, even if they're small, remove all the things that keep you from intimacy with me. So many times people come and ask me the question, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this a sin? And I just want, I, it's that same thing as how far can we go? It's the, it's the wrong question. What are you after? Are you after living life on the edge of naughty and nice? I mean, is that what you want? Do you want to just get away with as much as you can possibly get away with? Or do you want to be fruitful? Don't pursue knowledge of what is, you know, where the line is. Pursue knowledge of Jesus. Get rid of all of the little things, even if they're stupid things, even if they aren't even, they're not sinful things. They're just things that interrupt intimacy with him. He says, get rid of them. I don't want them there. Get rid of them. They're stealing intimacy from us. Do you follow? 
And in stealing your intimacy, it's stealing your fruitfulness. So no matter, whatever that is, eliminate it. Because he wants you. And he wants you to be fruitful. But this is her answer. She says this, my beloved is mine and I am his. Okay, that statement is so great. But then she says, he grazes among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. He's still in the garden. And then she says, turn my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. She tells him no. She doesn't come out. Here he is, this passionate lover outside her house going, come on! And she says, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. How many times do we do this? How many times do we say, you know what, I have, I'm too busy to, to pray today. I'm too busy to spend time in the Word. I'm too busy to, I have these five things I need to get done. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, we choose to go watch something on Netflix rather than spend time with Jesus. We choose to spend some time with some friends rather than spend time with the Lord. These things aren't sinful. They're just not as good. And why would we choose them? But we do. We choose to stay in bed where it's comfortable and warm rather than go jump in the mountains with him. We do it all the time. We let fear and comfortability and laziness keep us paralyzed in our place and we don't come and that's what she's done now we do it all the time we do there's a bunch of reasons why we do I think the primary reason why we do is we honestly believe the lie of the enemy that he doesn't really want us now why on earth would he stand at the gate and say, let me, if he didn't want us, but that's, that's where we live. That's what, that's how we feel. We honestly believe the lie of the enemy that it's not, our time with him isn't going to be as satisfying as whatever else. I need my beauty to rest. But watch what happens in chapter three. And I know we're out of time, but I, I want to just go to this one. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. She knows where he is, but all of a sudden she's just, she realizes what she's done. He's gone. But she's like, man, I, I still desire him. Which, you know, this feels like kind of a typical woman thing to me. No, go away. And then a minute later, you're like, where are you? I miss you. Whatever. You told me to leave. <laughs> okay, but this, this is where she lives. This is where she, she's, like, she's like, she told him to go away. But now she's like, oh, what was I doing? I'm so stupid. I told him to go. I should have gone out to him. And so she's, she's kind of, you know, she's kind of like reaching over to where he should be in bed with her. And he's not there. And it's like, 
oh, crap, what did I do? I'm so stupid. He wanted to run through the fields with me, and I said no, and so now he's walked away, and this, oh, this stinks, and what am I going to do? So finally, she says, I will rise now. Well, why didn't you rise a couple hours ago, sweetheart? Your husband, he was standing right there. But she says, no, I will rise now, and it's, it's too late. She said, I will rise now. I will go about the city and the streets and the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, oh, but I found him not. How many times do we complain? I'm just not feeling the presence of the Lord right now. Well, where were you when he was calling your name? Sought him, but I found him not. So now she gets out of bed. And now the Lord, now he feels so distant from her. Why would he deny me his presence? You little brat. You said no. You denied him, and now you wonder where he is. Okay? And then she says, The watchman found me as they went about the city, and I said, Have you seen whom, whom, him whom my soul loves? The watchman is an interesting character in this particular thing because in this moment, they're helpful, they're helpful to her. Later on, they beat her. Well, that's a good question. Who do you think they are? I think they're the church. I think they're the church. Because how often in your pursuit of Jesus has the church been helpful one day and like destroyed you the next? Okay? I mean, truly, these are the watchmen. They're supposed to be helping protect her. And in this moment, they are helpful to her. She says, have you seen the one whom my soul loves? And then she says, uh, scarcely had I passed them when I found him. In other words, they helped her find him. And the church often does help us find him. Now, later on, they aren't going to. They punish her for seeking him. But I love what she says. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held him and I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of the one who conceived me. They just looked for the closest place. <laughs> exactly. But look at this picture. Look at this picture. Okay. Look at how look at how Jesus is. Come on. Come with me. She won't come. So he steps away. And it is her it is his stepping away that stirs desire in her. So that she goes seeking. Do those moments in your life when he feels far away make more sense to you in this light? First of all, they're your fault. And second of all, he did it to stir desire in you so you would come looking. He knows what he's doing. You guys like the movie Top Gun? You ever seen that movie? It's one of my, 
the the love story between Tom, Tom Cruise and whatever the blonde's name is. Allie, is it? No, I can't remember now. <laughs> and there's this moment where it's really clear that she she wants him and he's like I'm gonna leave now and and she's like where are you going and he goes I, I gotta go take a shower and he just walks out and you know exactly what he's doing he's doing what Jesus was doing he's going I wanna make you want me playing hard Exactly. Jesus is like, you're going to rebuff me? No, no, no. You're not in control of this relationship. I am. I'm just going to step away. And, you know, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. There's something really selfish. I love it. Oh, my gosh. But it's also good. Because she didn't want him until he left. I know. He's awakening (laughs) desire in her heart. He's saying, he's saying, okay, fine. It, it isn't. It isn't that he. It isn't that he didn't express his desire for her. He totally did. That's playing hard to get. He's not going. Yeah, you're kind of nice. So whatever. No, he told her, "You're my dove in the clefts of the rock. Your face is beautiful. Your voice is lovely." And she's like, "No thanks." And he's like, "I'm leaving then." So he walks out. He walks out. And then what does she do? All of a sudden, she wants him like crazy. Well, uh, what? What? Walking in the mind of every woman. Exactly. She wants what she can't have, so he becomes what she can't have, and then all of a sudden she wants him. Guys, are you listening? No, they need this kind of understanding. They do. Because so many guys that like a girl are instantly like in their face 24-7, like, and she's just like, never mind. Just give her some distance, boys. I can't tell you how many arguments with my wife have ended with me going, you know what? I'm going to go for a drive. Uh, there's two reasons why. Number one, I'm pretty ticked off and I don't want to do or say anything that I would regret later. So <laughs> I'm going to go cool off. Number two, once I, as soon as I'm out the door, she's alone with her thoughts. And she doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say this. <laughs> she... <laughs> She's alone with she's alone with her thoughts, and then she's you know ready to make up with me. And when I when I get home, without fail, it's like I'm sorry. Now I usually I always say I'm sorry first, almost always. Okay, even when I'm right and she's wrong, I still say I'm sorry. That's it's the way it's supposed to work. Okay, but she is feeling better now about me. Things are going to be okay. Okay, so he left. When she comes looking for him, she finds him. And what he wanted to happen all along finally happens. Father God, I pray you'd give us the grace to say yes to you when you're standing outside the wall, to let down the walls and let you take us where you want to go. We pray we wouldn't deny you anymore. Lord, when we make the mistake of denying you, I pray that we would be like 
the bride and we would awaken to our own desire for you and we would seek you and we would find you. Your word says that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And Lord, I ask you for that grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray. 